Hey guys, it's Robin from the Brick City Blockade Star Wars Podcast. And I want to talk quickly about our good friends over at O'Neill Cinemas at Brickyard Square, just off of Route 101 in Epping, New Hampshire. Now, Sean and I on the podcast, we love to go and see our Star Wars films, but we also are just your average moviegoers, and we love to see animated films and really, really in-depth films over at O'Neill Cinemas. So they've done a wonderful job of promoting the podcast, and we're just returning the favor, and we really want you guys to go over to O'NeillCinemas.com and MovieTickets.com and get your tickets. They really know how to put on a show. So make sure to go over there, like their page on Facebook, follow them on Twitter, and show them the love. You will go to the Deco Bus. Hey guys, this is the Rogue One Christmas episode special. I'm your host, Sean, here's Robin. Hey guys, what's up? It's Robin from, of course, what you're listening to right now, which I think, as Sean just said, uh, ho, 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 Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Hey, nice yeah, impression. Yeah. We gotta work on that, but hey, I'm just kidding. It's well, I had the Christmas, I had the Santa hat on. <laughs> he so does right have now. the Santa hat on right now, guys. So actually, Sean, you don't have to work on it. You have the perfect Christmas spirit for this episode. And... Everybody, of course, there was the movie that came out. Finally, Sean, we were able to sit down and see this movie called Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. What an experience we had. Oh, it was so much fun. And the really, the, the one thing that I have to say... Sean and I have been able to see this movie now twice. Sean saw it this weekend. I saw it this weekend. We, we saw, of course, opening night on Thursday mm. at, uh, at O'Neill's. And then I saw it again yesterday... Which was Sunday, December 18th. Yeah. Yeah. And the second time was way better. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to dig real, yeah. real deep into the specifics of Rogue One. This is our Rogue One movie special. We're going to break down this film act for act for act. We're going to break down some of the characters, things we liked about the film, Thank things we did not like about the film. No. And really, we just want to tell you guys right away, if you have not seen Rogue One, what the heck are you doing? You guys got to get to the theaters. This is a spoiler for everyone. <laughs> this, this is it. This is going to be heavy with spoilers. So, guys, right now, if turn you haven't off. seen this, turn off like what you just said. Yeah, we you, you, and go watch the movie. <laughs> yes, get your tickets when you turn this off and turn and turn this episode on right after the movie. Exactly, because you guys are going to want to catch what Sean and I are saying here on the Brook City Blockade Star Wars podcast. So, Sean, without even waiting, let's break this thing down. Let's start with the first act of this film and really and it's the, the introduction yeah, that we get. We did not see a crawl like everyone. Said there was not. Kathleen Kennedy said there was not going to be a crawl. We didn't get a crawl. It was. It was. It was a di- little different for when we when we first saw the movie. It, fe- it felt weird, but as the movie went on, it it, it felt normal. It, it felt like a Star Wars movie. Yeah, I mean, we really heard it from Kathleen Kennedy, like you said early on, that there was not going to be a crawl associated with this film. And I have to say, we see right when we begin this movie, of course they say not to record it and everything, yeah. and I'm sure there are people out there who are recording it, unfortunately. Probably. But um, you know, all you crazy Star Wars fans out there who want to do bad, something. Bad audio, bad quality. <laughs> no, we're not going to watch we're that. We're not going to watch that. So we first see the famous a long time ago in a galaxy far, yeah. far away. And bam! We get right into what that seems to be that first scene. scene. I mean, it, it was little... It, uh, the you, first time I saw it, it looked a little bit Force Awakens-like when we see that planet off mm-hmm. in the distance. But there was something a little bit different about this. Especially um, the, the planet. Yeah. With, with the, the rings around. Mm. Like, it, 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 like, it was kind of hard to explain. It was like when they like, dug... You could see the... What do you want to call it? The rings? And mm. when, when, once the camera dropped, it went like straight into the rings, which is really cool. Yeah, it showed the prisma of the rings around the planet, which I thought was really cool because it almost looked like somebody took like a clean sheet of paper over it. Yeah. But just to see the ship that Krennic has, his... his uh, his ship, just see that fly through, and uh-huh. then suddenly you get the broad perspective of that, where the Earth is. That horizon, though, on the on the planet. Yeah, there was so beautiful. Really great the, yeah, the whole the whole movie, uh, cinematography wise, was phenomenal. I really loved it. Yeah, and it really didn't disappoint. First off, I mean, we see. I, and the one thing that I have to say, the first thing that blew me away when I saw that film show, when I saw Rogue One, was the way Krennic's ship sounded. Uh-huh. It, I, it was almost Kylo Ren like, like. I I feel like there were little tidbits of Force Awakens that we heard in this, and that ship reminded me so much of Kylo Ren's flagship in Force Awakens. I just, there was something cool. I, about yeah, it. going back with the sound, I just love when the when the the storm the black troopers, oh, yeah, troopers, the death troopers 
drop down and you could hear the feet yeah. on the grass. It was like so crisp you could hear them. Yeah, I mean, they really captured the planet that the Ursos were on, like that farmland and everything. It was such a unique planet. And to be honest with you, the first thing I thought about when seeing this, and Sean, I'm going to gauge you on this. The first thing I thought about when I saw this farming planet was it was the complete opposite of Tatooine. Yet the same in some ways. It was just a more vibrant Tatooine in terms of the farmland that they had. I mean, it obviously wasn't moisture farming, but it was something very different. It kind of reminded me of New Zealand a little, Mm -hmm. just like how, like how the like the mountains in the background and like how like the fields and there's a lot of farming in New Zealand like I, I don't know what where the, they filmed it is, is but it looked really great yeah it looked really awesome and I believe when we get to the end credits I'm going to talk a little bit more about it but I believe that scene was actually filmed in Iceland which yeah. is really cool and I think it adds a little bit more. Um, maturity to this film because not only and I, I guess Force Awakens did that by going to the Skellig Michael Islands mm-hmm. Star Wars is starting to choose locations that are unique to this universe now places that yeah. when fans go to visit it I mean you want to talk about marketing alone especially Scarif like yeah. it's, it's a it's an island planet basically it's a sandals resort for the Empire is basically what it is you can hop in an airplane or in a sorry to say uh, Imperial cruiser and go to this place get yourself a nice pina colada sit down and watch the Death like, that scene, well, jumping forward a little, especially when they're uh, going down the into the the planet Scarif, oh, yes. it reminded me of, like it looked like they're going on a trip. <laughs> it was like a little mini vacation. It was like a mini plane they're going down. <laughs> it's it's really cool, actually. You bring up a great point, Sean. That's that's one of the things that Rogue One did really well, and right from the get go in that first act is to show us these locations. And uh, again, there was something very special about where the Ursos lived. And right when we kick it off, Sean, we get right into it. And we get that, of course, the line from the trailer where he's like, Jin, grab your bags. And then, of course, he says, whatever I do, I do it for you and whatever else. But we, uh, And I didn't expect this. We saw Saw Gerrera right away. Yeah. Which I did not expect. Unless you've read Catalyst and you know where Sagarera plays into this lineage, I did not expect to see Sagarera no, right I, off. I, I didn't either. But I, I honestly I loved the like the scene when he was that flash what you wanna call it a flashback? Yeah, more of a flashback. When he when he tells Jin to hide. I just love that scene. He's like, Jin, hide. And it, it shows his personality. And as we kept moving on in the act, we got, a, we got to see really where Jin's origin and... I mean, yeah, Catalyst brought up a little bit more of what her origin was. And if you've read the book, no spoilers, um, we really get to know the Ursos in that book. But it mm-hmm. seems like what we got was the origin of how Jin became who she was. How hard-nosed she became and how she really, really wanted to fight against the Empire. But well, she didn't know where to place herself amongst Well, it, is, it especially happened when our mother died. After after when Krennic and uh, Galen Erso interacted. That scene reminded me a little bit of uh, uh, Kylo Ren and... Uh, oh, Lorsen. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of them, just like going back and forth. Yeah, there was a lot of similar, and, and we'll keep saying this throughout this episode, there are some similarities between Rogue One and Force Awakens, and I think Gareth Edwards probably pulled from that bag because yeah. he knows how good of a director J.J. Abrams is and how good he can get a certain angle to be able to keep that universe together in that way. You see when a, a Jin is hiding, especially, like, especially like, and when uh, Krennic's asking get get the whole family because he, know, he knows every, where they are. Yeah, he has a pretty good idea of where everybody is like there's something that tells me Sean and I'll get your opinion on this when Krennic says that he knows the girl is not too far because Galen's wife Lyra shows up randomly and I love that line that he says he's like oh look Lyra's back from the dead (laughs) I love that line (laughs) there's I mean just that little comedic side oh man I mean and that's what the Empire is like I feel like Krennic is one of the first characters that we have had that uses sarcasm in such a beautiful way. We see that in Darth Vader in this a little bit in this movie. Well, we'll get into that about how not, I not yet, guys. Not yet, guys. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll be getting into that soon. But 
really we end the first act, Sean, and we really start digging into the story. We get to be introduced to Cassian, and I have to admit that planet, that trading planet yeah. that he was on, with the two um, looks like asteroids that were basically these this planet formed around, mm-hmm. is really cool. I mean, it, and, and may I say this? It reminded me something of the Old Republic. Yeah. Just the, the way that the planet, and maybe it existed during the Old Republic, but just the trade system that was set up there and how really it reminded me of, of the inner core of Coruscant in some ways that all this these slum lords and everything and all the betting and all the, you know. Yeah, it's just, it just cool. reminded me like any old, like like other movies when they're in, like in the streets of like old, like poor, poor people, if you want to say that. Yeah, yeah. The less fortunate the less Star Wars universe. Yeah. <laughs> But I just love all the like different cameos because we see again like, different uh, droids and all that. Right. Yeah. No, it's true. Uh, they, it did such a beautiful job of showing us those locations and everything. And then finally, we see Cassian. I, I have to admit, I didn't know how I was going to like Cassian Andor coming into this. But obviously, it was set right off the bat about who this character was going to be when he is relayed the message about the Death Star from this pilot. Going by or- doing orders. He's doing his orders and everything. And then as the stormtroopers come, Boom! Assassinates him, kills him on the spot. Basically, he didn't care. No, he didn't really care. And we'll get into it in, in a little bit yeah. about Cassian and Jin's relationship. Yeah. There seems to be some kind of similarities between those two characters. I feel that Cassian Andor really was an enemy at times to some of the others, and almost like even with K two. And I, I can't wait to yeah. talk K two with you because yeah. <laughs> there's just so much to break down with him. But even K two at times did not know what to expect. From Cassian. He did not know well, what to make of him. Also, times. introducing Bido, his character. I love his introduction. Just like, it's the same thing with uh, his his relationship with... Uh, name. We just said his name. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, Cassian. Cassian, yeah. Cassian Andor, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, he's another yeah. great character, too. There's just so much. I mean, you want to talk about some character breakdown as we start moving into the second act. Uh-huh. Um, we get introduced to, of course, Chirrut Imwe yeah. and yeah. Baze Malbus. I, I, I really uh, love that scene when uh, Chirrut was nowhere. Like, Jin's necklace with the the Kyra pistol. He's like, he's like, yes, you come here. And he's, he, of course, he's blind. But and Jin's like asking, are you talking to me? And he knows. It was like, which I, I love the, I love Jared. <laughs> yeah, Jared is a great character, and just seeing him. I mean, obviously, it sounds like based on when Jin was within his presence, he could feel the presence of the Kyber crystal on her. As uh-huh. Baze said, he was a protector of the Kybers on Jeddah. That mm-hmm. these people, I mean, and you could even include the red hooded figures who are carrying those staffs. Yeah. Everybody who was within the religious context of the Force were defenders of the Kybers, and I, I just, I have to admit, I. Don't know if we could call them radical rebellious or radical rebellious uh, members of the rebellion, but just the way that they portrayed them going about destroying the stormtroopers mm-hmm. on that planet to protect the kyber crystals was just so amazing, and it really connected to the world that we are in today. Yeah. In some ways, like there were there were moments in there that I was almost like, "Wow, am I watching the news on TV?" Right especially now? especially with all in my like the music in the in the when they're in jail, they had a uh, like. Middle Eastern music and they kind of remind me of terrorist a little. Yeah, like the whole, like the whole kind of remind me of uh, terrorist. Yeah, right. There's there was there was very much a political implications when it came to Jeddah and what especially, the empire was especially doing. when that the imperial troopers had the tanks too. Yeah, and and that's exactly what the original trilogy did, yeah. which was I was so glad to see because the original trilogy was really based off of the empire being considered the Nazis. Yeah. And the rebellion being all the other countries that were coming up against it. And I saw that again in this, that the Empire was the the overlords, basically, of every political system in the galaxy. However, there was that group that said, you know what, we don't want to be part of that political system. Saw, which is great. Like Saw Gray, an extremist, like what they said in the movie. Right, and that's what was brought up in, I believe it was considered the first act, mm-hmm. was when Jim was brought to Yavin 4, which of course, seeing Yavin 4 in just just the context yeah, yeah. of which we saw it when they come flying in, you see the original um, structures there oh, and some yeah, of the I, really what we saw in the original trilogy, the same kind of layout was just so uh, awesome. It was it was good to go back on an old planet to see in the in the new movie. Yeah, and see the X Wings parked in there, the yeah. Y wings and the droids going around and people with their the and like people on. in the intercoms and all, all yeah, that. And it was so cool to see that. And uh, just going back to the point about Mon Mothma. 
being in that and mm-hmm. just her insight. And I think, I guess we can say this now that we've talked about Act 1 and a little bit of Act 2. There's something special about Mon Mothma in this that we didn't get even from the cutscenes in mm-hmm. Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Or in the original trilogy, and that was Mon Mothma's passion to be behind something or someone who was hoping to achieve something larger within the galaxy. Of course, the rebellion is built around one message: to destroy the Empire and to restore peace to the galaxy. Well, which is their own perspective. Well, this movie gave her depth as, as a character and talking, like talking about how to destroy the rebellion and all that. Yeah, which I, it, I really loved. Yeah, it was great. Great actress, by the way. Oh yes, I mean that's that's we'll get into to that when it comes to who portrayed some of these people. Yeah. I totally agree. But there was something about Mon Mothma's relationship with Jin. Mm-hmm. I think she had an inner feeling that Jin was coming, was telling the truth the entire time. She knew that she was covering herself up because of who her, who her father was, who her past was related to. And I think... Mon Mothma is somebody, and the kind, kind of, kind of like a mother to her. Not not like a mother, but like a. No, you actually bring yeah. up a really good point. She is the mother figure of the rebellion. She is somebody who, like, like going back to like Leia and Rey, kind of. Yeah, very similar. Very similar to what we see with Leia in the Force yeah. Awakens, especially at the end when when she said, "May the Force be with you," and before Rey takes takes off to find Luke. Yeah, it's it's there are those similarities in there. But just Mon Mothma's relationship with Jin, she knows what Jin is about, and I just love that part, and we'll get into it a little bit more here. When Jin decides to go and go to, go off to Scarif yeah. and take on the battle to get the Death Star plans and to take on that responsibility, and of course her um, sergeant comes running yeah. up to her, Mon Mothma, Mon Mothma, <laughs> and then... She says, what's going on? And he says, the rebels have taken off. Now somebody else from the rebellion wants to join in and has already sent his troops out. And, and Mothma just has that little grin on her face. Just that smirk. She's like, oh yeah, I did that. Yeah, she, she knew that Jin was not going to be um, held back in any sort of way. She was going to be the one to lead this battle. And um, we'll get into their, of course, their ending. Well, um, yeah, we'll go back to Act 2. Yeah, Act 2 is such an important piece. When we go back to uh, when they have all uh, Rogue One together and they're going to find uh, Galen Erso and they, they crash down the planet. Uh, what's the name of the planet? Edo. Edo, yeah. Thank you. The rainy planet. Reminded me of <laughs> we just call it the rainy planet. <laughs> the rainy dark planet. It's like, it kind of reminded me of a, um, shoot, the name. Um, Camino? Yeah, Camino. Thank you. Yeah, it's yeah, a rainy yeah, yeah. planet. No, there's a ton of rainy planets, but Camino is, yeah, I, that's. No, but I, I just, I love that whole scene when they're, when they're going down and Cassian Andor is about to take out Galen Erso, but doesn't, which gives him a great uh, development of his character. And he decides not to do it. And we see Krennic coming down too. I just love the whole scene. Yeah, but, it, it's great. And like you said, uh, you said it beautifully, Sean. That Cassian Andor's character really is built around that one moment. And I think he does start to feel for Jin at some point when he's got that sniper ready yeah. to go. And of course, everything happens on the platform on Edu. And he's looking down at Krennic with, with Galen there. And I think at some point he feels so bad for him. Well, uh, but then he, he calls to get K2SO to call off the, the fleet. So, because Generoso's on that platform. So, obviously, he has feelings for her and yeah. doesn't want her being hurt alongside Galen. Um, which is a great point alone. And there's just so much development just in that. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of Star Wars fans, people coming out of Rogue One did not necessarily feel that the Edu scene, they thought it was kind of a weak way to get rid of Galen Erso and to have Jin experience her father's death. But at the same time... That was the second time I cried. <laughs> and you probably did the same thing. I, yeah, I was very teary-eyed during that part in Act 2. But it was almost necessary to build the characters of Cassian, Jin, Chirrut, mm-hmm. and Baze. Because we knew that Baze Malbus and Chirrut Imwe were together on Jeddah and everything. But, but now that Jeddah was was basically destroyed and everything. Now they gotta get together with Rogue One and as a family, basically. Yeah, and and they did have that connection on Jeddah, but I felt like... I I just love that scene. Chirrut's leaving and he's like, where are you going? And he's like, Jin's path is clear. And then he knows... And and he just... And he puts his hand on uh, Bay's shoulder, which I loved. Yeah, there's there's some great development between those two characters in that scene. And of course... Baze follows him and everything. Also, we see Baze not really not into the Force as much, and we'll get into that later in Act 3. And we know Chariot's really a, not a Force user, but he knows of the Force. 
really well. He, he is active within the force. He is, I guess you could say, and I'll talk, and I'm, I'm going to gauge you on this, Sean, in just a little bit here, but there is so much when it comes to the character of Chirrut and the way that the force is discussed, basically from act two to act three, the way that we are presented mm -hmm. with what the force is in this universe. Obviously, we know that Jyn Erso, she's given the kyber crystal necklace from her mother, and her mother mm -hmm. says, trust the force. Obviously, Chirrut is able to sense that on Jeddah, but I don't know necessarily, now that I look back at it, was it was Chirrut sensing the kyber crystal on her or her her being within the Force itself? I feel that, you know, Star Wars is now starting, and I'm going to get you on this, Sean, because I know you are somebody who loves to talk about the Force yeah. and the way that it flows through somebody, um, especially characters within this universe. But I feel that Jin possessing the kyber crystal and her presence around Saw and her presence around these really tough environments... She learned to trust the Force not because it was a, a way or something to get her mind off of what was going around her, but she truly became one with the Force. And there's another scene yeah. that happened, uh, <laughs> actually, within Act 2 that we can talk about. But I just want to get your idea on this, Sean, or some thoughts on it. Was Jin truly a Force user, but more like Leia in that sense, that she is one with the Force... Or, of course, the line is, yeah. I am one with the force, the force with is me, me. I am one, one with the force, force, the force, force is with me. Come on, say it with, with us, Come on, people, let's go. I am one, one with the force, the force is with me. me. But there is just so much, uh, when you're talking about Jin's character and the way that she finds herself within the force, that I almost wonder, is she an agent of the force itself? I don't know. It's Because they said there weren't going to be any in Jedi. No, no. So let's no. talk about force users, maybe. Well, there was a force, men a force user me mentioned in it, and we know it was Obi-Wan, of course. Waste <laughs> <laughs> I kind of freaked out, but I, I, th I think I think everyone in the Star Wars universe has some way dealing with the Force, and and whether people believe it's kind of like a religion. I think like if, if like you believe in God, the God believes in you. It's kind of like the Force. Is, if you believe in the Force, then the Force believes with you, kind of thing. Yeah, and that's why I'm, I'm saying with you that I think she has a, like a Force feeling, like Leia, and that's why Chirrut was able to sense her at different times. Um, of course, when Galen dies and she gets back on the ship and she wants to take a swing at at, uh, at um, Cassian, yeah. there was that great line that Jared said beforehand. He said, "Did he have the face of a killer?" Because those yeah. with who are about to kill within the Force, he can feel that presence. Now, when Jin comes back to the ship, and obviously yeah, she's, she's got her build up rage and everything, she's all angry and all that. But he he just grabs her hand, yeah. Because he can feel that there is a sense of hate building up in her for Cassian. So he stops her because within the Force, of course, and I'm sure he knew, he knew it from being on Jeddah with the Imperial presence there, that whenever there's hate, he can understand and really focus on where it is. And I think that scene alone, many fans may take it out of context and may not think about it in depth, but that one scene truly shows how powerful Jen may just be in the Force. Because right. obviously he can sense, sense Cassian maybe about to kill Galen Erso, but yeah. there was something about him physically grabbing Jin to stop her that makes her powerful. Yeah, because he doesn't really touch it, but like he doesn't touch anyone else except uh, Baze, of course, and I'm pretty sure Baze could also be a, a one with the Force as well. Right, and that's and we true. And we see that kind of in Act, act at the end of the act, we'll get to that still. Yeah, and it's just so much within that second act. I mean, a lot of people... Um, other people that I've heard online, on YouTube, who have reviewed Rogue One and have sat down, people on Facebook within the Star Wars forums, say that Act 2 drags out a little bit. I love that. There's, I, I really love that. I, I love the whole movie as a whole, I think. Like, Act 1, I really loved Act 2, Act 3. It's <laughs> just the whole thing. Right. The whole thing was great. But there are some Star Wars fans that look at Act 2 and say that it was dragged out a little bit. The Edu scene was not necessary. But there, that, there were some scenes that were not necessary in the movie. Every movie has that. We see that in Force Awakens. We see that in all the prequels and all that. Right. So it's just it's just basically what what yeah. baggage comes. It's, it's, people, it's people's opinions. Right. And we have to take that into account as Star Wars fans. Of course, you out there listening to the podcast, it's all about your opinion and us discussing it and getting to break it down. But just the end of that second act, when we finally get to see Jin return to Yavin 4, mm. and she has to deal with the death of her father, and she has to really come together with herself and explain to the rest of the rebellion what the plan is. And everyone's half and half, and because they don't know what to do, they're all scared. And, and I love that scene when she's like, we gotta fight, we gotta, we have, we have, do we, 
should we have a cho- we have to have a choice? That's what she says. Yeah, we have to have a choice, and and I think we got to act now. And I just love that line. She says that. Yeah, and she and Cassian even said it at the end of that Edu scene that um, that she basically is the messenger. She is the one who is carrying the message from Galen Erso and about everything where the Death Star plans are and how to get them and everything. Right. And having to go in front of that council. I mean, you're talking about Mon Mothma. You're talking about General Dodonna. You're talking about Bail Organa, yeah. Admiral Raddus, who yeah. I absolutely fell in love with in this film. Yeah. And they actually compared him to uh, the Winston Churchill yeah. of this movie. And he is. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about somebody who probably was the mentor of Admiral Akbar at this time. Yeah. Radis had to have been his mentor or maybe... And then we see, we see him in Act 4 and all he wants to take take everything down and scarif and all that. And he's looking up in the his little... <laughs> his little what, do you, what do you call it? Little... Yeah, well, the Mon Calamari yeah. frigates. Yeah, and anytime you can include Mon Calamari in a Star Wars film, I, I'm a personal person who likes to sit down in a restaurant and eat calamari, but at the same time, when we're talking about Mon Calamari, um, not so delicious, but in the <laughs> film, they are pretty delicious when you look at them on the screen in terms of viewership. I know that came out a little creepy. I do not eat Akbar calamari consistently, but um, <laughs> there's, just a, there's just a lot going on when it comes to that end of that act, and I thought it was great. I love that one guy. Uh, keeping on the, on the humorous level here, the one guy in the back that shouts, "What is she proposing?" It's like something, it's like something from an '80s movie, like like in the high school and everything. Yeah. And the kid gets up on the table and says something. It's like, "What's this guy talking about?" Like it's. I, I just thought that was kind of humorous funny. at that time. It is like a New Hope a little. Yeah, there yeah. were there were little pockets of humor. I know some of the other fans in the theater didn't pick up on it, but in the Star Wars universe, Star Wars fans would pick up and, on those. And that fans. humor that we had to give to was K two S O. Oh, let's we, talk we just about K two. We loved his humor and we loved his character. Just like the first time when we see him when he when he's rescuing Jenner, so <laughs> she's about to get off the thing. He just grabs her. I'm rescuing you. <laughs> <laughs> you are being rescued. <laughs> it's just, oh man, just that character alone. And then, of course, on Jetta, we see him, the other destroyed, come around the corner and she shoots him. You know that wasn't me, right? No. Well, that was like, I told you to stay in the, in the. Oh, yeah, stay in the ship. You thought I was going to get shot? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a, I just love his character. Yeah, K2SO is was probably and I'm gonna say this Star Wars fans. I don't I think without K2SO in this film, I would not like it as much. No. There was something about including him in this movie that lightened the really dark moments. And even I mean, you want to talk about some real dark moments on Edu when Jin is about to go and confront her father and try to save him and everything. And Cassian is getting ready to try to go and assassinate him and yeah. finally cheer it and Baze leave the ship. <laughs> K2 sitting in the cockpit is like, where did everybody go? <laughs> We're taking off without them. He's like talking to himself like his own program. Do I get a gun? Yeah. Why, does she, why does she get a gun? I found it. <laughs> <laughs> in the probability of her, she's like trying to kill us. I have 24% of high... High chance of dying. Now it's 34%. <laughs> it's just amazing. And I'm going to ask you, Sean, when it comes to K2SO in this film, there's something about his character that I liked more than C3PO. I don't know. There were very similar lines, but I don't know if it was the face, the way that they designed K2SO, because he's such a, a big figure within the Star Wars universe. He's such a large presence in the mm-hmm. movie that just to have this like really wisecracking humor and everything, it's not like C-3PO's. It's more of like real, real like human sarcasm yeah. in some ways. Right. And I think I have to <laughs> Alan Tudyk. Yeah. Alan Tudyk. Bravo. Great, my great job. Great I job. Mean, I remember seeing Alan Tudyk play, uh, I believe it was Sonny in iRobot. He, he oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sonny. And you want to talk about a standout character in that film? Without Sonny in that, you don't have iRobot. Without K2SO and Rogue, 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 Rogue One, you don't have Rogue One. And bravo, no, Alan Tudyk. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I really love K2SO um, much more than C3PO. Just his sarcasm, like you said, is his presence in there. It just it just fits. In, and especially he's a ex-Imperial droid. Yeah, it made it even better. Yeah. Like, was he like that inside the Imperial ranks? Or was he... I mean, obviously it sounds like Cassian reprogrammed him, but did something happen when they well, reprogrammed Well, especially him? in the in the Scarif scene, he's, when he's walking faster and you see another K2S droid walking slower and he just walks... 
And then he just walks slower. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> oh, because he's trying to fit in. Yeah. He's trying not to. Yeah, it's it's the same exact thing. They kind of look back at him and everything. Um, but no, K2SO was a wonderful character. And another scene I want to bring up, Sean, mm-hmm. with K2SO um, really comes towards we're, we're about to leave Act 2. And we're yeah. finally getting to the point where the Battle of Scarif is about to happen. And we're about to really get into the meat of what the purpose of Rogue One is. And finally, we get to see us move over to Scarif. And it seems, and just the way that they approached, I mean, Bodhi Rook is such a cool character that even in those in those hardened times when they're trying to get the Imperial Code mm-hmm. past the Protector Shield over Scarif and they're trying to get all the codes right. checked out and everything, and K2SO is like following along with it, like he's yeah. an Imperial droid again. When they're all, when uh, casting an android uh, and... Cassian Andor. Andor. Sorry, Droid. Why did I say Droid? Andor. I love it. Cassian Andor, a generous so and K2SO are in the, the, the Scarif base where they're in. And, and K2SO says, when they're about to close the door, K, uh, K2SO says, oh no. Oh, I don't like this. Or it's, oh, I have a bad feeling about, about you. And it just cuts off. <laughs> He's taking the line from Han Solo, basically. Yeah, I have a bad feeling about this. Oh, it's so it just cuts off because it's, it closes. It closes which is, and, they're, and they're basically shushing. Like, <laughs> too. It's just oh, I have to admit again, Sean, and and I know you agree. You'll probably agree with this. K two S O is, oh, I dare say it. He is the best droid in the Star Wars universe up to this point. No, yeah, I, 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 agree, I agree. Above BB-8, above R2, and that's saying a lot, above C-3PO and above R2-D2. I, K2 I, is my favorite. I, I loved him so much, I agree. And especially, do you want to talk about this now? We might oh, as well. When he, when he's, when they all get in, when he's in the, the what do you want to call uh, it? You the, could probably the, say the, the yeah, control the room. The control room base, and he's, because Jen gives him a, a, a gun, he's like, now I trust you. <laughs> Which I love that. <laughs> Your behavior continues to you impress me. me. And that was all, <laughs> so I said that was the last one. One of the last lines before he... You can't really say die because he's a droid when he's... No, you can say that. He's, he's basically human in our minds. Okay, okay, when he dies. <laughs> but I just love how he just shoots everything and oh. and he just wants to protect everyone. He wants to get the plans done too. He, he builds that respect for Jyn Erso. Yeah. It, at first, he wasn't sure how to take and, her. Like, like what did he say? The, the, the line that... It actually wasn't used in the film, and we'll get into that a little bit about the trailers. But that one line that was used in the trailer where it's like, you know, Cassian told me um, that I have to behave, basically. I'm not going to kill you. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, thanks. That wasn't in there, but that's... He started to earn the trust of Well, well we, we, we see that bef- right before they leave the Scarif, and we see... Uh, K2SO, he says to Jin, uh, I will never leave your side of... And <laughs> then he said, Cassian... Cassian Andor uh, told me to. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That was just before they're leaving Yavin. Yeah, um, no, but it's just, and of course, we might as well bring it up now as we're getting into Act Three. Uh, just the absolute sadness of that third act. I mean, we want to talk about some awesome moments that we're going to dig into yeah. right uh-huh, at the right. end. The hardcore Star Wars fans really enjoyed, but of course, there is going to be sadness when we're talking about seeing these characters develop and develop and develop, and then finally, of course, this is not really spoiler when we're talking about yeah. this universe in the next film that they are killed off. Um, Every, everyone, everyone, which really did surprise me. I did not expect. I did not, but I think it was a smart move for Disney, though. Which because all heroes die, and everyone's going to die at some point, <laughs> right? But, and we can really break it down. I mean, let me let me do it this way, Sean. This makes a lot more sense. All of our characters: Chirrut Imway, Baze Malbus, Jin Erso, Cassian Andor, Bido. and uh, Bodhi, Bodhi Bodhi Rook. Good. Which one do you think of the deaths was most upsetting? Uh, in terms of what we got to learn from the, and I guess you can throw K two S O in there yeah. as well. Which one was the most upsetting to see on screen, and which one do you think they could have salvaged, um, maybe either for a future use or anything else? I really think I think it's shared. I think just especially when he when he goes out in in the the sand of the of Scarif, and he's just like saying, "I'm a woman of force. The force is with me. I'm a woman of force. The force is with me. I'm and, force, and everything's force missing, and he's going to get." Do that. Uh, oh, control, the, the, the transmission. The transmission, and and we see uh, Baze in the back. He's yelling. Yeah. They say, "Chariot, come back!" 
and he and he keep, he keeps going, and he yeah he. I just he, love the way he stumbles. Yeah, up. he's just stumbling with the force. Oh, well, it's <laughs> so not, natural. He, it's natural, but he he does it, and then we see him get blown up, and and we see him die in Cherit's arms, which oh. I'm not Cherit. I mean, basically, <laughs> he, he dies in his own arms, arms technically. Yeah, yeah, basically, but. That just that whole scene, Ugh. because we we know so much of the of the force and how it cheer it. I I really want to know more of what he what he came from, and I would love to have like a standalone film with him, like like in the back, the prequels, whatever. Yeah, I think just from what Star Wars fans have said that, and it seems overwhelmingly that the death of Chirrut Imwe stands out amongst the rest of the characters, maybe other than K two S O. Yeah, his death, I have to admit was truly, and this is a weird term, a Star Wars death. The way he went out and Baze is holding him there, and he says, I'm one with the Force, the Force is with me. He says it nice and slowly. And Chirrut utters that line that says, you can always find me within the Force. I love that. I love that <laughs> I want line. that on a t-shirt. I want, I mean, just Baze Malvis and, and, and then, then right yes. after that, when he when he's, when uh, Baze is going to shoot off the thing, and he's like, I'm one of the force. The force with me. We're gonna say that every time, guys. Yeah. I'm the one. The force. The force is with me. But he's like, and then the the shot pans back to cheer it, yeah. and then and then Baze accepts his death right when he when the when he shoots the guy in the, oh, the in death the, trooper. Yeah. The death trooper just calls and he just sees it. Yeah. yeah. And he just it just blows and the whole them two together that scene. Yeah. Uh, the third act really put together for me the need. For a Baze Malbus Chirrut Imwe story, whether it is in novelization, whether so you want to have, dig just, into it, have a, have a, way. have the uh, like like a movie like the other guys like Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg. Oh like, yeah, like like, like like funny comedy action thing. Oh, I'm totally thinking buddy cop movie between Chirrut Imwe. Yes, yeah, so like <laughs> we think on the same what, the same page. Then. Gumble and Gumble, like like you want to talk about Chirrut Imwe or, and Baze or Rush, like something like Rush, Rush Hour. Hour with Chirrut Imwe and Baze Malbus. That'd be so. <laughs> Cool. But those two characters together are just a wonderful combination. And I know going into this, a lot of Star Wars fans did not know, including us, where these two characters yeah. were going to fit into this film. But again, I think we know Jin and Cassian are our main characters. Without Chirrut and Baze, you wouldn't have Rogue One. Same thing with uh, Bodhi and K2SO and Jin and Cassian. They all walk together. Yeah, that is Rogue One. I mean, I really got that team spirit in that third act. And just the way that they go out. I mean, we might as well talk about how Jin finally accomplishes taking the Death yeah. Star plans and everything. Uh, personally, and I'm, I'm going to be a little nitpicky here. Mm. When, <laughs> when we get into... Really, um, the control room of where the plans are and everything, and where they're being broadcasted to. And we go into that room, and and uh, Cassian is like trying to figure out how to work. The- Shouldn't you know though? How to? I mean, it, should, it looked like it should have been common sense. Yeah, it looked like it was a little bit easier. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, you so how to work it? But that's but that's that's beside the point. But. That scene alone, was I a big fan of it, and did I get disengaged from it at times? Yeah, because I think they really focused too much on the motion of where the Death Star plays. Hey, we, we saw where it was. It was, it was green lighting up. Hello, it's right there. That scene, scene seemed illegal. illegal. <laughs> it was illegal, though. It was a little dragged out for what it was. I mean, I wish the control room was where they were. I wish it was a little bigger. Did it feel a little prequel-like? Yeah, I felt like it felt like a little bit of like a Phantom Menace, or actually kind of like Attack that, of the Clones, like like kind of like the elevator scene. It didn't feel like it, like like from Episode Three, like the elevator scene. Oh, very similar. Yeah, just the way it was. Shot it, was it, it was all like scrunched in. It, like it felt like they, they were claustrophobic, and it, especially where like uh, Krennic came in. I didn't like where he came in. It's like that was really random. Yeah, like how did he know that that was the door that they were supposed to use to get there and everything? I don't know. That scene ha- scene was just okay, a little but, off. Like, his shooting, of, he missed like uh, a couple times. Like really, it was just it's, as bad as a it's, it's like ten, not even ten feet away. More like six feet away from them. Yeah, I mean, there was just there was uh, there were a couple of things in it that felt a little prequel like for me, and I'm not somebody who hates on the prequels completely. No, because there's some great aspects of it. No, yeah. 
but I think Gareth Edwards pulled a little bit from the newer George Lucas button when, or from the button from the George Lucas album when it comes to <laughs> oh, it's a famous album. Um, no, but it, it's a little bit George Lucas like, like newer. No, George no, Lucas-like. yeah. Uh, but just that scene alone. I mean, that's being really nitpicky. That, and the funny thing that was the only the that was the best part of the music. Just that scene. That was the best part of the whole soundtrack. And the soundtrack, I didn't really get into as much. It's not John Williams. It didn't feel like it was like a John Williams soundtrack. It was okay, but it, it kind of didn't fit. Right. That one scene, the music fit perfectly. The other times, I totally agree when it comes to the soundtrack. It was a little jarring at times. Like I felt like it was louder than the people talking at times. And it became a little confusing. I'm not a like originally. I thought, well, I don't like this soundtrack at all. It's not John Williams. There are certain things about it that I do like. But again, Michael Giacchino had only four weeks to work on this soundtrack, and he actually I mean, went to outside. I mean, if it he, shows. If he had time, more time, I think the soundtrack would have been so much better. Yeah, there would have been a lot more to it, and I feel like the scenes would have flowed a little bit nicer. But of course, he had that again. He had four time. weeks to write. <laughs> What, how many songs? How many are on it? Like 20-something I think, scores? I think, I think there's 30. 30 scores. I mean, that's a lot for four weeks. And I can totally understand why they brought on another composer to kind of help him along the way and look at the writing and everything of each of these of these songs and everything. But as we move away, we finally see Jin achieve the Death Star plan. She hooks him onto herself. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we think Cassian is dead at that point. On first viewing, we think I, that he's yeah. dead. I actually did believe he was going to die because once everyone else was, was dying, I'm like, oh, I, he's dead. But then we see him appear once again. Jin, no, yeah. he does appear once again when Jin... But he dies again. <laughs> of course. Oh, my goodness. And that's another aspect that I wasn't so sure about was that, oh, this is how Cassian's going to die? He's going to fall to his death uh, on, in the control room? Like, I was like, wait like, a kinda second. Kind of like prequel. Yeah, a little prequel, like, again, like, uh, wait a second, this this doesn't fit right. But, of course, I, I we love, see I, This is the, like, a Jin's movement of, like, getting out, like getting up. Like, yeah, you can tell she practiced that. And it was a little, uh, there was, there I was mean, some I, aspects of the prequels there, that, but things from the prequels that I liked. There, that the Force could have helped her there, too. Yes, absolutely, that that necklace that she was wearing was guiding her in some ways. Let's break down Jin Erso. And that scene of where she's projecting the Death Star plans. I I, I do Everything. love that scene a lot. Just like the whole, on the tower, she comes up and then she she puts it in, and then yeah, she has to actually go to uh, get the thing moved. The signal, the, yeah. The, the signal moved, and then it was like, of course, she has to go, and then of course we see surprise, Luke who's still alive. We see Krenna come. I don't I don't like the ele- that elevator scene coming up. No, I mean, it was not necessary. It was not. There were certain things like that that were not necessary. Another one to include. Like again, how how did he know she was going to be there? Right. Exactly. There was there was no way he was going to specifically know that she was going to be there, um, unless he had the intercom or whatever. Right. Like clearly, you could sense that she was there. But no. Though, and of course, we see Krennic appear. And um, you just see that anger on her face. And of course, we finally see that scene with Krennic and her. And of course, Cassian comes up from behind. Mm-hmm. Boom! Shoots Krennic right in the side mm-hmm. and towards the back. And you, again, we see Jen. She wants to take immediate retaliation against him. But mm-hmm. what does Cassian do? Similar to Chirrut. Backs off. Gets backs off. Yep. Like, like basically, he's already taken care of. None of your business. He's done everything that he's done for your family in a negative way. It's time and then for she, to move on. Then she pushes, pushes the thing, and we see the Death Star plans have been transmitted. Yes. It's like 50% out, and it's like... It's such a great... I love that part when uh, Radis is st- sitting in the ship, and it's like, Sir, we're receiving the Death Star plans! It's, uh-huh. it's so cool. And... Um, it, just everything that transpires from here on in there. Uh, one thing I want to talk about, we really didn't dig into it, was Bodie Rook's death. No, yeah, I was which, about I was about to say something there too. <laughs> and, and I think I have to admit, of all the deaths that were most unfortunate, it was Bodie Rook's was very very unfortunate. It was kind of weird death though, putting in a grenade in there just randomly. Yeah, and of course it's Brian Fontaine's favorite. Uh, you okay. darn scare stormtrooper, um, k- killing Bodie Rook. But no, just the way that it that it 
it happened was and, and we see Chariot seeing the thing get the shit blown up. Yeah, it, it, I'm not Chariot. Sorry, Baze. Baze. Yeah, no, that's okay. It's easy to well, those two are like a power combo in that way. No, just the way Bodhi Rook goes trying to bring that transmission and mm-hmm. to try to bring the cord over and to make it all happen. He's like that one. That one guy is like, I'll, I'll go get it. <laughs> yeah, he's like really passionate about it. Oh, I got this, and then goes out. <laughs> He's immediately just killed on the spot, which is no. I just love Bodhi's like compassionate for everything in this movie. Yeah, I mean, and, and people don't give much credit to him. I wish people would give more credit to him. In the Riz movie. Ahmed is a wonderful actor, and I don't know if you knew this, Sean, but Riz Ahmed is actually a rapper in England. Yeah, which is so cool because I feel like we're starting to see that more and more in this universe. Um, I have to give credit to Hamilton because obviously yeah, he looks like Lin Mandela. Yeah, oh, Manuel, Manuel, Mandela. <laughs> What do I say today? <laughs> Star Wars fans, don't worry. We're not getting our politicians in South Africa mixed up with Star Wars characters. I think you were talking about the late, great um, Nelson Mandela. Uh, but <laughs> no, I don't want to thinking. <laughs> Sorry, guys. But no, at no. the same time, uh, just that scene. And, of course, we finally see Jin and Cassian. I knew it was coming. I didn't really... It was, I didn't like it. It seemed a little forced. It seemed a little forced at times. Hugging and all like And... All the explosion coming. Yeah, because we finally see that Tarkin makes the decision. We're gonna get into those. I, I kind of wish they died in like more like <laughs> they get blown up or something like it, like all get shot or something. Not like it explodes. Oh, that's kind of dark shot. No, I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but that death was kind of weak. Yes, yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, and of course, we see. I mean, it was sweet and all that, but yeah. And of course, we see that um, everybody uh, just the planet of Scarif itself. Uh, ceases to exist because the Empire finally makes a decision. You know what? We're just going to get rid of this thing. But I think, and we can get into this in a little bit, and of course it's no spoiler, I just mentioned the name. Tarkin knew that Krennic was sitting there on Scarif. That CGI, though. Oh, my God. Right, we're going to get it. Sorry, we're sorry. Get it I got too excited. I got had But I think it. Tarkin knew that Krennic was sitting there on that planet. And what a perfect way for Krennic to officially go out by the thing that he created himself. Oh, yeah. It's it's death so, by his own building. Karma, karma is a. <laughs> sorry, guys. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. It is. Kids watching, don't say that. <laughs> no, that's okay. We have something called editing. Um, but the cool thing is, is that I just love seeing that's the way that Krennic went, and I think we got a little bit of that from the Vader scene uh, when Krennic went to visit Vader. We're gonna get into that. There's so much there. Yeah, uh, I'm saving those juicy points for the end here, Sean. Basically, the best parts of the, the movie. best parts of the movie. So you guys can just fast forward to that. Um, but <laughs> you know, there's just just the way that Krennic went out and everything. And again, I totally agree with you when we talk about how Jin and Cassian went out. I, I'm not. I'm not sold on it yet. I know I've been to two showings, no. but I think I'm going to need three it, to four. It, it probably will change me as well. It just maybe probably the fourth, fourth time, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, I got to deal with it. But <laughs> it yeah, happens. It, it just seems weird. Just that, just <laughs> the Cassian that we see in that scene just kind of. I don't. It, 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 it fits out of character. It is. He was like, your father would be proud of you. It's like. <laughs> What? <laughs> what? Okay, I understand this, but this is the guy that you almost tried to assassinate. Like, you never even really met the guy. I, I don't know. Maybe that's just me being nitpicky. It almost seems like... No, no, no. I, I, I agree with I'm you. I'm wondering if reshoots came around that point. Like, they, they changed up the edit, the ending, what it originally yeah. was going to be, and they finally decided on that. I don't know. Maybe, it's going to take multiple showings maybe, to understand. Maybe we'll find out in the deleted scenes in the DVD, the Blu-ray release, maybe. Yeah, but there's a lot more that, that when it comes to that ending and yeah was it nice but I mean at the same time it seemed a little that's not the ending ending though I know I know it's not the ending ending. we'll get to there but let's go back Sean now that we are getting close to the end of the episode here I think it makes sense that we finally talk about some of the characters that they included in this film and I want to start with Really, the CGI-based characters that we saw. You know who it is? Ahsoka. No, I'm kidding. I was <laughs> no, 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 no. It was, uh, of course, General Tarkin. Yeah, Wilhelm Tarkin. Uh, I, I don't know if he was general at this general? time or no. whether he was a uh, Grand Moff. Grand Moff. Tarkin. He was considered Grand Moff Tarkin at this time. He was a general, of course, going back and everything. Just the way that they used the CGI, and of course, we find out uh, later that a person exactly. actually well, did we'll, we'll voiceover everything. Um, 
but just Sean, your initial thoughts on how they use CGI on Tarkin. Uh, personally, I noticed noticed some of the changes um, when it specifically came to the eyes and even the mouth structure at times. I know it's a newer technology, but I the first the, the, first, the first time I, it movie went over my head, and then of course when we learned learned about it, the second time I I saw little big differences, but especially with the mouth moving and the eyes and the, the facial structure and it. It was a little weird, but it was it was really cool to look at. I would even dare to say that it's revolutionary for the Star Wars universe. It's revolutionary for movies in general. Right. I mean, what other Star Wars characters could we bring back using the CGI form and using, like, maybe lines that were used in the past? Or I mean, it's just absolutely amazing when it comes to that. And the yeah. other CGI person that, of course, we see at the very, very end well. of this yeah. film... Which really surprised me, and kind of it, it, it really, it really surprised me more than uh, you. Because yeah, you, you guessed it right too. <laughs> I know. I'd said it in the past that we'll probably see this person, but that is Princess Leia yeah. herself on the tin. I was just really impressed with. I mean, of, of course, you can see the difference. It's like Tarkin; you can see yeah. where it's developed. I, I, th- I think. It, I think uh, Leia, since she's younger, it was it was easier to do. Because Tar- uh, Tarkin was older, and you see all the wrinkles and all that, and I think it was hard. in CGI it's hard to do. But I think Leia was looked a little more better, or looked less CGI, even though she was CGI. I can't wait to see her in future uh, movies. If maybe Han Solo, uh, maybe a Solo Princess Leia movie. Yeah, we, I think that definitely they're exploring this new form of portraying characters for a reason. Obviously, maybe it's the Han Solo film, maybe it's another anthology film, maybe it's even episode 8. I don't know. They want to check it and make sure that it's going to work, yeah. but just seeing Leia in that scene was a nice little thing for the fans. For the people who really didn't understand where Rogue One fit into the universe, okay, it makes sense. We see what happens yeah. and everything, yeah. and then finally we see Leia, and it's like, okay, this is where A New Hope begins, yeah, basically. Right after that. Picks up right after it. Exactly, Sean. The character that I've been saving our final discussion yeah. for. I uh. briefly mentioned him a little bit. Let's go back to the second act. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about a, ca- a character, Little a Little Leaf. Using wonderful, wonderful Lee, words Lee, here. The character known as Darth Lee. Martin Vader. Of course, he has a middle name, too. Yeah. Um, no, but Darth Vader no. himself. I want to get your idea on this, Sean. I know you and I are big yeah. Legends fans. We are people who pay attention to... Two planets within the Star Wars universe it, and everything. It was confirmed <laughs> that it was. John's got the news already. It was confirmed by. Uh, it was confirmed as it was Mustafar that uh, Darth Vader was plant, where, where he's living at, basically. Yeah, and and that makes a lot of sense that they would use Mustafar because that is the home of his pain. That is where he wants to rule. That seems to be the place where he is one with the dark side the most. And I think it's really cool, Sean, because as you know, many of Star Wars Star Wars fans out there know, of course you know, because we went on a tour with this, we went on our Legends in Canon tour, mm-hmm. and we talked a lot about where Vader, if we see him in a future film again, will they pull stuff from his Legends book? And they did. Yeah. They used Vader's castle in this, yeah. which of course we didn't see it on Mustafar in Legends, we saw it on a different planet, which was an acid rain-based planet, which yeah. I thought was really cool. But to see his castle used, it just blew me away just, as a legend. I just love him in the bathtub tanks. It was really, <laughs> it was really cool. You just the, yeah. the water just comes down, and, and you, you can see the breathing. And you can see his face, his loving face. No, no mask at all. And I thought it was really cool that he did, did that because, it, because we see that in his burned face in, in episode, episode three, three after Anakin Obi Wan fight and all that. And yeah, yeah, no, um, Vader's presence in this. Um, was, I know a lot of people said that they weren't so sure about his presence in this, whether it was it, necessary. But I think when it comes to Vader and Krennic finally meeting up and everything, I think it was more fan service than anything. That that scene was probably more fan. The ending. We'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. Um, but yeah, I you can continue on that point. But I think it definitely was fan service. And I just love that scene. You kind of don't choke on your ass. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was kind of a corny line. I, I, it's, I, liked it's, it. it's, I loved it. Yeah, it, it's just the the way that Vader was portrayed. I mean, the James Earl Jones voice. Obviously, James Earl Jones is older. It kind of threw me off at first because you could hear the difference that, 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 in the that voice. First, that first line he says it. It didn't, yeah, like you said, he's older, a lot older. It's been 40 years. And just, I think the one thing about that scene that I loved was when they did a panoramic shot. Yeah. And it's Krennic standing there with Vader, and you're looking out at Mustafar. 
I mean, I, it was just like, can I own that place? Can I own Vader's castle? It's like, it's like, there? It was like a painting. It really was. Like, I would love that in a painting. Um, and on a canvas or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now we're talking about merchandising. Yeah, uh, that you can. Like, you guys can listen to episode four for that. But um, no, it's just just certain parts of that scene. I really love the choking. Uh, I kind of predicted that. That's what why his fingers were yeah. like that. It was kind of easy to predict. But he put Krennic in his spot in some ways. You see his his facial expression. Like when he's getting choked, he's like. And, and I don't think he knew that that that's what Vader's potential was. Yeah. I think that was his first true look at what Vader's potential is within the Empire and everything. And I think. And and of course Tarkin no no knew about it, and he, he kind of warned Krennic. I think Tarkin sent him to Vader on purpose because he said there is somebody else that you're going to have to appease before you get to the Emperor. That's why he kind of warmed him too, but he didn't know. But he didn't know until he got there. And Vader made it very clear. We, we, see, we see Krennic yelling at Tarkin. He's like, I made this all... Yeah, and, and and then when we see him with Vader, he's, he's getting choked. <laughs> yeah, basically. And Vader makes it very clear that you're not going to get to the Emperor by going to me. No. Because I am one with the Emperor. You don't understand that I am the Lord of the Sith, basically. Lord of Vader. And and that's and that's the and that's the interesting thing. I, I think as we're talking, when we're coming out of Episode Three and into Rogue One, Vader is beginning to understand his true presence within the dark side. He's starting to finally understand mm-hmm. that you know what? I am the Lord of the Sith. I can do. I am I, a very powerful I person. Can, I can do whatever I want. I can do whatever I want under. under Darth Sidious's terms, basically. Right, exactly. Perfect way of saying that. And nothing more showed his yeah. true passion oh, within yeah. the dark side that, than that final scene before Leia. Yeah. And you want to talk about a nice little cameo for the Dark Lord himself. I, I just Darth love, Martin Vader. Darth Martin Vader. Yeah, I just love when all the, the, the rebels are trying to get the, the one little... Oh, the data card, the data yeah. card to to Leia, basically. And you, they just, I just love the whole paramex scene just going through, and then we see, of course, living, breathing guy himself, Lord Vader. You, we see his lightsaber. <laughs> I'm, I'm so freaked out. Sean doesn't even have any words right now to describe it. No, but just to hear when they're looking down that dark alley, and they just hear, and then. Finally, the ignition of his famous red lightsaber and his figure standing there. I mean, you can tell that the fans are absolutely freaking out at that point. And it seems like I was like completely lost at that point in a good way. I didn't I was really like know what acid, to expect. I was like on an acid trip watching that. <laughs> <laughs> Sean's not being putting no. it lightly. He was, I, I was sitting next to him at that first showing, and both of us are like fist pounding we're like, each other. We're like, we're like whoo! We're going crazy, and it was the Vader that we wanted to see. Yeah. It is Weird. the Vader that we needed to see. Not not the episode three Vader we saw. No, and you want to talk about a difference from A New Hope. Was he agile, and did he focus was- on using two hands in A New Hope? No, I mean, he, he really was not that agile, and he did focus on using two hands in A New Hope. But I think this was his last stint. As a powerful, powerful force wielder mm-hmm. in the dark side, obviously. Um, but the way he just mowed down it, the rebels, it was like it was like Anakin. Yeah. Anakin in episode three, and himself in episode three is basically fighting style. And my favorite part of that, other than well, actually, I have two favorite parts in that one scene. Imagine that I have two yeah. favorite parts within one scene in the third act compared to the rest of the movie. Yeah. When he's holding the rebel up to the ceiling, I, and he totally forgets he's holding on. To he, him. Just, he, he just he just sounds probably one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> And then he uses another shot to block it back at another rebel, and then just stabs the rebel at the door and everything. I mean, it's just... I just love his, his walking. Just He's just walking, like, slowly and all that. Relentless. I make a noise, this guy. <laughs> lightsaber noises. I love... Those are okay. It's okay to make lightsaber noises on the Brick City Blockade podcast. <laughs> That's enough. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Keeps doing that every time. Um, No, but just... And then, of course, we see Vader, and he's standing there with his red lightsaber on. And the cape's just flapping. The cape's just flapping in the wind, or in the wind, in the the space space wind. Do you want to call it that? (laughs) Space wind, yeah. And it's just... Just that scene, it's like, that's finally the Darth Martin Vader that we wanted to see in the Star Wars universe. And just the way that that led to the Princess Leia scene 
was absolutely wonderful. The whole movie was just so amazing. Yeah, I think if we want to look back at this, Sean, at the, at the entire Rogue One film, I think we have to say that Rogue One did what it had to do in places. Could it, of course, like any Star Wars film, is there room for improvement? Yeah, every every movie needs a point improvement, basically. And this one needs a little bit more improvement, but it was... Overall, it was a great, great, great <laughs> Star Wars film. We haven't seen that type of uh, Star Wars in a while, basically. And it felt like A New Hope, which I loved. Yeah, it, there was so much war to this film. And that's what Gareth Edwards mm -hmm. and Lucasfilm marketed. This is going to be a war film. And boy, did it hit the marks when it came to being a war film. And like we said, it was, it's a dark film, guys. Yeah, I would not recommend. And I noticed this at our first screening yeah. and even at my second screening of Rogue One. A lot of families with younger kids and everything. And I'm not discouraging the family's choice to bring kids to a Star Wars film. But I think Sean and I agree on this. Mm -hmm. When it comes to this film, Rogue One, this is not a film for any kid really ages 10 and under. There's a lot of adult aspects to this film that's, that children, and I noticed families walking out at both showings. There was, there was no families of the one of the second showing. It was basically all adults And they there. may have gotten the warning from other families that went to yeah. see it about it. But this is a very dark film. It does push, that last scene does push rated R at some points. Like just the absolute brutality points of it push a rated R. It was R. like a PG-16 basically. <laughs> PG-16. There's a new rating for Rogue One standalone films. Or Rogue One for Star Wars standalone films. I, my words are getting jumbled. I'm so excited about Darth Martin yeah. Vader here. But Sean, I just want to get your overall rating on this film. I, this is a new thing we're going to start here at the podcast. Mm -hmm. When it comes to new Star Wars films coming out, we're going to do it out of a 10 basis. Very easy. Nice for the fans so that they're able to get a perspective. If you were to rate Rogue One from a 0 to 10, where would you place it and why? Uh, for me, I ha for Force Awakens, I had I think I had like a 7.5 or something. I think I'm going to give this an A. Like a 7.9. Almost. Oh, maybe. Let's push it to an A just to round it up. But the whole... Uh, movie together is like just it just felt like an old it felt like a new hope like I said and it kind of brought me back to like the the comedic the dark side and it's really hard to explain for me yeah no there's just so much so much when it comes to this movie I like your eight eight out of ten rating I think it makes a lot of sense I'm actually on a very similar point I would I would push it at an eight point five out of ten um, just because of the soundtrack itself and some of the music and everything. And again, when it comes comes to specific scenes like the um, control room scene, it, it just gets a little confusing there. And uh, I, I don't know. There's just there's, like, there's like so we, many things to like about. Like this we stuff. said, there needs a lot of movies needs improvement. That's why I gave a little low because it kind of a little just five percent of like a prequel vibe a little. Yeah, and I totally agree with that, Sean. There are some prequel vibes to it, and I think that's probably what's holding me back a little bit next to the music. But I, just to be 100% completely honest about this, an 8.5 rating out of 10 for this film is that, pretty that, darn good. Well, that's what, that's what it's an 8.6 on IMDb last time, last time I checked. Right, so it's an 80-something percent on uh, Rotten You know, Spanish. I'm going to bring it up a little to maybe 8.3. <laughs> just push, put it right And put Force Awakens up a little two points. Because I think my rating's a little weird. Right, it's, it's newer for us as well, Star Wars fans uh, here at the Brick City Blockade Star Wars Podcast. Of course, we launched not that long ago, so... Yeah. We've really only had two films to really rate uh, based on this, but uh, Sean, there's a lot more coming uh, in the near future yeah. when it comes to Star Wars films and everything, and I think Rogue One is a good starting point for Star Wars standalone films now that we're leading up to the Han Solo so, anthology and, and film. untitled Star Wars film after that. So. Yeah, so there's a lot coming up, guys. We really appreciate... Uh, Everything that we've heard from Star Wars fans, you guys sending in your reviews of the movie, watching this all is your our, reactions. This is our last episode of 2016, guys. Yeah, so. this is really the Rogue One uh, Christmas special, I guess you could call it in some ways. Um, it'll probably have a different title at some point. Yeah. But there's just so much with this movie that we, we could continue to break down, but we want to make it nice, sweet, and short for the Star Wars fans. And, of course, if you're still listening to this and you haven't seen Rogue One, you have just been completely spoiled. And you might as well just go see it and find. They want to be listened to if they want. Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes you get those listeners that come in here and they try to break down what we're saying and everything, and they're trying to try to prove us wrong. Yeah, yeah, but that's okay. 
okay. You know, that's, okay. Yeah. that's okay. That's okay. I like being wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the whole point. Brian and I say it on our thing. Uh, we're not here as people who know everything. We're here just to discuss this galaxy far, far away and what we can bring to the table in terms of some insight. Mm-hmm. Sean, we got some pretty awesome stuff coming up at the Brick City Blockade Star Wars podcast. We do. And um, I thought we'd break it down. Uh, of course, this is our Rogue One breakdown special, but there's a lot of breaking down that we have to do. We, we, might, we might as well itself. do it. Yeah, we might as well get right into it. Um, guys, when we start 2017, we want to formally welcome our good friend Christopher Letty onto the Brick City Blockade. Give him a round of applause. Nice big round of applause for Chris. Uh, he is a Star Wars collector. He's a really good friend of ours, so... Great friend of ours, uh, big-time Star Wars collector, loves doing things. He's going to be doing a collecting segment for our podcast and another great announcement coming up. Our good friend Scott Inch from the UK mm-hmm. is going to be doing a couple of interviews with us based on what's so going on stay in the tuned UK. for that for next year. So Yeah, 2017 is going to be one heck of a year for the Brick City Blockade Star Wars podcast. We also have a couple of other events coming up. Guys, we want to announce here first on our episode tonight, or whenever you guys are listening to it. I'm getting choked up. I'm so emotional. The first like the movie. <laughs> we want to tell you guys about a great appearance. We're doing part of our Future of Star Wars tour at the first ever White Mountain Comic-Con That's gonna be a in lot of New Hampshire. That is going to be a ton of fun. We have some special guests coming up with us, some special panels for you guys. Uh-huh. It's going to be in Plymouth, New Hampshire, February 25th and 26th. It's going to be a Saturday, Sunday, great time of year. Ski season, the snow is going to be on the ground. Bring the family, cosplay. Where else can you go skiing and cosplaying at the same time? Maybe other than a ski Lake resort. Tahoe. Yeah, Lake Tahoe. <laughs> You're giving us another. Don't send them to Tahoe. Send them up to Go Northern to Tahoe, Hampshire. guys. Go to Tahoe. <laughs> it's expensive, but go to Tahoe. Um, but yeah, we have some great events coming up. A White Mountain Comic Con 2017 in February. Then, of course, in April, we have Avon Con in Connecticut. We're going to be doing that right part here. of our future. Star Wars tour and a couple of other dates that we have to confirm for some not, other great comic Con. Not sure yet. So. Not sure yet. So keep it tuned. Go onto our Instagram, our Twitter, our Facebook. But, Make sure to like us, follow us. I, we also we will be starting a Tumblr, Tumblr page too. So keep we'll keep you up and update that. So. It's going to be a lot of great, great content coming you, your ways, uh, Star Wars fans. So make sure to keep it locked to the Brick City Blockade. Like our page on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at BrickCitySWPC. Make sure to follow us on Instagram. And go over to our blog page. We have some special articles. I just did one on the Ray Theory. I might have cracked the code on Ray. Ray's. Great for you guys. Go I, check it out. I, I might have cracked the code when it comes to Ray's parentage. I don't know. There's a lot more when it's, it comes to It's opinions. To it's opinions. It's opinion-based. We love putting your perspectives up there and everything. So, Sean? It's plug time. It's plug time. Where can the Star Wars fans find you? You can find me on uh, Twitter at SeanMichelle1. Follow me on Instagram Zone2434. Send that friend request to me on Facebook. Like our page and all that. And where they can find you? Uh, no, also the other. Oh. They have to listen to your music. Oh, yeah. Show. Listen to my music. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's good. No, <laughs> you do, follow me on, on SoundCloud uh, Zone Z or go to Bandcamp. I have one single. Well, very cool. Very cool stuff from Mr. Sean Michaud over here. Uh, as you guys know, I'm Robin Vogt. Uh, I'm, of course, from here on the Brick City Blockade Star Wars podcast. You can also find me on Rebels Recap, Brian Fontaine from JediScavenger.com and I. Uh, we just closed out the 2016 It's, it's a hiatus right now. It's a hiatus until January. Exactly. Once January comes around, Brian Fontaine and I are going to be back on the scene with Rebels Recap from JediScavenger.com. So make sure to check that out. You guys can go over to Facebook, send that friend request, like my official page on Facebook, all the updates on places where I'm going to be, where the Brick City Blockade is going to be. Mm-hmm. So make sure to check that out. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Mr. Vote Tweets. Go over to Instagram. Check me out at the official vote. And also look out for my other side project, Robin Reviews Movies, which is another small thing that I'm doing on Facebook. I'm going to be looking at other movies and reviewing basically what I saw. It's basically a typical review, whatever else you want to mm-hmm. talk about. There's so many other great movies other than Star Wars out there, even though Star Wars is tops on my list. Um, that. I love talking about and sometimes I even put Sean on with me and we talk about some of the other films that we've seen. So guys, this is the Brick City Blockade Star Wars Podcast Episode 10. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas, Christmas, guys. And may the the force be with you. We'll see you guys next year. Happy 2017.